So this was last updated four minutes ago. Um, at least 63 killed as powerful explosion rocks Beirut. Live updates. So the last time I looked, it had been 50. So within minutes, this death count has already risen. Lebanon's prime minister vowed to hold responsible whoever is to blame for the explosion, which is an interesting update because there's speculation and reporting right now that no one is is directly responsible for the explosion, but there there's again this is all speculation. Everyone's trying to put these pieces together, especially the people on the ground in Beirut. Um, there was a fire, like a warehouse fire, with apparently fireworks in it and then it spread to where there was where there were explosive materials which then caused the big blast so that's kind of what it looks like people know or at least think right now so here's what you need to know at least 63 people were killed and 3,000 injured the health ministry said explosive materials were stored at the blast site and the disaster may have started with a fire at a warehouse a smaller explosion was followed by a much larger one. A major hospital was left unusable after damage that injured dozens of patients and visitors. The explosion hit the waterfront near several important buildings. The blast stirred memories of war in a city that had been relatively calm in recent years. Assessing the toll, a political party waits to learn whether it was malice or neglect. So the word is still out. And I want to caution everyone who might be on social media, who might be on Twitter, and I know you guys already know this, but it's disturbing seeing so much misinformation and so many conspiracy theories being passed around in the midst of this. There are certain people who kind of hop on to terrible incidents and, and try to take it over and just spread things out of out of malice just, just because they can or or just because they're they think everything is um, you know, a direct attack from from whoever it might be. And I would really look to trusted news sources in this case. And yeah, we give the New York Times and friends a lot of crap a lot of the time because of the, the type of reporting they do or the lack of reporting they do. But in cases like this, they do vet the information that they're putting out. It doesn't mean they're the um, end all be all. They can certainly be wrong. And we might never know exactly what happened, as is the case with a lot of uh, incidents like this. But just be really cautious in who you listen to in the coming days, and especially today, as the story kind of shakes out. I'll show you a little bit of this. I actually haven't watched this video myself. Videos capture aftermath of deadly blast in Beirut.
clearly that is really hard to watch. Imagine living there. Imagine having family there. Imagine going through that. It's truly devastating for Beirut and the people. And it looks like from those videos, it looks like the end of the world. There's nothing left. It's all covered in ash. It's all knocked down. Just devastating for this region. The Secretary General of Kataib political party, Nazir Nigerian, was killed in the blast, and among those injured was Kamal Hayek, the chairman of the state-owned electricity company, who was in critical condition. Videos of the aftermath posted online showed wounded people bleeding amidst the dust and rubble, and damage flying where debris had punched holes in walls and furniture. On social media, people reported damage to homes and cars far from the port. The Lebanese Red Cross said that every available ambulance from North Lebanon, Becca, and South Lebanon were being dispatched to Beirut to help patients. Hospitals were so overwhelmed, and remember, this is in the midst of COVID, so hospitals were already overwhelmed, that they were turning wounded people away, including the American University Hospital. Patients were transported to hospitals outside Beirut because those in the city were at capacity. So they gone to talk more about uh, the hospital situation, which is just so sad that people who need help can't get help because they're at capacity or have to travel long distances to get help. So here's what we know, or at least again, what we think at this point. So highly explosive materials seized by the government years ago were stored where the explosions occurred. This is according to Major General Abbas um, Abraham, the head of Lebanon's General Security Service, according to the National News Agency. And please forgive my mispronunciation. I apologize. President Michael Aoun later confirmed that explosive substances were held there. Neither of them said what those materials were, but General Ibrahim were, uh, warned against getting ahead of the investigation and speculating about a terrorist attack. Prime Minister Hassan Diab said in a televised statement, facts on this dangerous depot, which has existed since 2014 or the past six years, will be announced. What happened today will not come to pass without accountability, Mr. Diab said. Those responsible will pay a price for this catastrophe, he said. This is a promise to the martyrs and wounded people. This is a national commitment. At least one explosion at about 6 p.m. stemmed from a fire at a warehouse in Beirut's port, according to Lebanon's national news agency. There were local reports that the warehouse contained fireworks, and in several videos posted online, colored flashes could be seen in the dark smoke rising from the fire just before the second erosion explosion. Um, and of course, the, the governor of Beirut broke down in tears and, and called it a national catastrophe, which of course it is. Two explosions shook Beirut, the second one much larger than the first, carrying enough force to overturn cars, damage, and shake buildings across the city and strew debris over a wide area. The larger explosion blew out the glass from balconies and windows of buildings several miles away from the port, and at least one building collapsed from the force of the blast. One resident said the streets looked like they were cobbled in glass. Videos posted online showed a shockwave erupting from the second explosion, knocking people down and enveloping much of the center city in a cloud of dust and smoke. Cars were overturned and streets were blocked by debris, forcing many injured people to walk to hospitals. 
St. George Hospital in central Beirut, one of the city's biggest, was so severely damaged that it had to shut down and send patients elsewhere. So just, just imagine so many people needing hospital care and not able to get it. Look at these images. Really, really devastating. I will uh, put this, look at that. That's, that's near the port there. Um, what I have to say about this is just, we don't truly know what happened. We have some facts that are starting to trickle in. We don't know if this was malice. We don't know if this was an accident. What we do know is those very dangerous, very explosive materials were there for several years, several years and they weren't handled. So I'm sure more investigation and digging will come out about that because it seems to me that those materials should not have, should not have been there, especially seeing as how um, it's, it's uh, damages have come to, come to be. Someone's, you know, someone's responsible for those explosive materials being there and, and next to fireworks, and that doesn't seem like a great idea, so. I want to show you a couple other things. We have, and again, take take everything you know for what it is, new information or suspected information that we know right now. So this um, reporter, I believe she is in Beirut, says, security source, what happened was the explosion of tens of tons of ammonia nitrate which was highly explosive, which was in one of the warehouses, and it was obligatory to be destroyed or transferred to Fair Place after it was previously seized. The explosion was caused by a fire that broke out close to the dangerous warehouse. So I don't know how trustworthy that is. This is a news anchor um, with MTV Lebanon News. So take it for what it's worth, but that seems to be the information that people are, are kind of talking about or running with now. It's trending on Twitter. This um, ammonium nitrate uh, or ammonia nitrate and it's definitely something people are looking into and we'll keep an eye on that. To kind of bring it home, as I said before, a lot of you know and love Rania Kalik and her reporting, her great independent reporting, and she was in the midst of this. And she tweeted earlier this morning, there was a massive explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. I thought maybe it's an earthquake. My building shook and the windows all blew open, but the port is reportedly on fire and there's red smoke in the sky. So maybe it's connected to that. Terrifying, I'm still shaking, but okay. She shows a picture of, of where she works. This is where I work. Really thankful I wasn't home. Had I been sitting here during the explosion, I'd probably be dead. Ironically, I left the house because the electricity went out. Never thought I'd be so happy about Lebanon's power cuts. And she thanks everyone for checking in. And her, her thread goes on. So I'll leave that link in the chat as well. So you can check that out and definitely leave Rania some, some kind words. Yeah, so that's really all we know so far is that it's a devastating event just absolutely horrifying that many people are dead, many people are injured, and we don't know much right now.
So I have an update on Breonna Taylor and an update on George Floyd, both of those cases. And these are disturbing updates. In one case, in Breonna Taylor's case, it's, it's cops refusing to answer questions. And in fact, walking out of a committee hearing yesterday, not answering questions that they're supposed to answer. In another case, and I apologize, this is gonna be the Daily Mail, but they are in fact the ones who got the exclusive additional police body cam footage of the moment George Floyd was arrested. So I'll be going through both of these things. Let me make sure. Yeah. So this is ABC News. Louisville's top cops refused to answer questions on Breonna Taylor case. Louisville's top police officers walked out of a committee hearing on Monday, refusing to answer questions amid an ongoing investigation into the city's handling of the case of Breonna Taylor, a young black medical worker who was fatally shot by plainclothes officers. Louisville Metro Police Chief Rob Schroeder and the city's chief of public safety, Amy Hess, left the hearing without answering queries from city lawmakers on Monday, citing a pending lawsuit against the police department and the city. The officials had agreed to testify before the Government Oversight and Audit Committee about the city's response to ongoing protests over Taylor's death. It was the first scheduled hearing related to the Metro Council's investigation into Mayor Greg Fisher's administration and its handling of the large-scale protests that followed the 26-year-old woman's death. Attorneys for Schroeder and Hess argued that they couldn't answer the questions due to a federal lawsuit filed Thursday by the American Civil Liberties Union of Kentucky and the NAACP. It names Schroeder, Mayor Fisher, Louisville Metro Government, and the Police Department among the defendants. If we are compelled to proceed today and we're here voluntarily and prepared to proceed, the law requires it be done in a closed session, David Guarnieri, an attorney for Hess, said. Schroeder's attorney, Joey Clausing, made a similar argument, saying a testimony in open court this early on the case could jeopardize the officer's defense. He, Schroeder, has been named in a 47-page civil rights lawsuit, which I haven't even had the opportunity to talk to him about, Clausing said noting that the suit came in late Thursday night. He's just not been named in his official capacity. He's been named in his individual capacity as well. To have him be compelled to testify here today would be in contradiction to the statutes that have been promulgated by our legislature, he added. The four-hour hearing was supposed to focus on how the police department handled protests in the wake of Taylor's death in March. They should have written uh, Taylor's murder at the hands of police. But the attorneys claimed there was too much overlap between the topics on the hearing agenda and those mentioned in the excessive use of force lawsuit. After their departure, council members voted 10 to 1 to issue subpoenas to compel the officers to testify. Then it goes into um, more background information on Breonna Taylor's murder. And of course, Breonna Taylor's murderers have not been brought to justice. As of now, only one of the officers, Brett Hankinson, was fired, that was back in June, amid intense pressure from the public. John Mattingly and Miles Cosgrove, the other officers involved, were placed on administrative reassignment, so they are still working. Civil rights activists say all three men should be charged. Clearly, justice is not being done in um, Breonna Taylor's case. The fact that cops wouldn't answer questions is not surprising at all. It's just yet another bump in the road towards justice. It's yet another thing that cops do when they're trying to hide something and, and when they want to get away with it. 
but of course it's disappointing. It's, you know, putting salt on a wound. It's, um, it's just, it's, it's truly not fair. And they, as they say, life isn't fair, but we, we fight for justice and we, we expect justice. And with Brianna, who had plans, um, her, her aunt Bianca, Jordan interviewed her aunt Bianca, they had plans to travel. Brianna was an EMT. She had plans for her career. She had a boyfriend. She had a, a great loving family. And that was taken from her by police who now won't answer questions. Of course, they're citing legal reasons why they can't due to the lawsuits. They're trying to play the victim when in fact they are not the victims. They are the, the perpetrators of violence, of murder, of wrongdoing. So I, I really, um, you know, it's encouraging to see so many celebrities now, like Jada Pinkett Smith removed, recently removed all of her, her posts and images on Instagram and only put, you know, justice for Breonna Taylor photos and images and graphics there instead to try to bring awareness. Um, Beyonce has written letters to the powers that be in Louisville. Um, her sister has as well. And I... I don't know what's going to happen next. They are, they are out there marching every single day, every single night in Louisville. They are organizing. Jordan and I were there. We saw the passion these people have. So I think the public has to keep pushing and, and shouldn't stop fighting for Brianna. I truly think that the fact that Brianna is a woman is something that initially held off recognition of her case. It wasn't until after George Floyd's death, and I believe um, after Ahmaud Arbery's death, that Breonna Taylor's story finally started being shared on social media, even though her family and friends and, and community had been trying to push it out. It, it finally took off. And the people, we the people, have to show the cops that this is not acceptable. We're not going to let them get away with murder. So this this story, the murder of Breonna Taylor, you know, we're we're definitely going to stay on it. Jordan and I are going to stay on it. It's unbelievable that cops can can go in and just murder someone for something she never did. They're doing, you know, investigations. Well, why is it taking so long? She was murdered on March 13th. What's there to investigate? at this point. We're in August. Horrible. And just, you know, just as horrible, more information continues to come out about George Floyd's murder. Pull that up again. You know, this is the Daily Mail, but they happen to get the exclusive body cam footage. So I will, <laughs> I will show you the Daily Mail today, as I usually do not, because they are typically not really like, the best source of news. So exclusive these ads. Police body cam footage shows moment by moment arrest of George Floyd for the first time. From terror on his face when officer points gun at his head, sobbing before he's shoved into squad car and begging to breathe as his life drains away. And they put a, um, a content warning here, which is a good idea. This is very triggering, emotional, disturbing content. The terror on George Floyd's face as a rookie cop points a gun at his head while he sits in his car can be seen today for the first time. Dailymail.com has exclusively obtained video from the body cams of officers Thomas Lang and Alex Kung, who were part of Floyd's fatal arrest on Memorial Day in Minneapolis. 
Floyd died after Officer Derek Chauvin kneeled on his neck for nearly nine minutes on May 25th. The tapes show in detail how Floyd begs, Mr. Officer, please don't shoot me, please man, before the struggle that ended with his death. It also shows how Floyd resisted as the cops tried to force him into the back of the squad car, telling them he suffers from claustrophobia and anxiety. The video begins with Lane knocking on Floyd's car window with a flashlight, and once Floyd opens the door, Lane pulls out his gun and points it at Floyd's head. Floyd, 46, begs him not to shoot, saying, I'll look at you eye to eye. Please don't shoot me, man. I just lost my mom, man. He sobs as the officers pull him out of the car and handcuff him, as his ex suggests he was undergoing mental problems and was afraid of police. After the struggle to get Floyd in the cop car, he is suddenly on the sidewalk with Chauvin's knee on his neck. Floyd says he can't breathe over and over and he calls for his mama, but his voice slowly gets weaker as his life drains away, even saying, I'll probably just die this way. Very emotional um, words there, very emotional points uh, as they pulled out some some things from the video they obtained. One thing that really stands out to me is that his ex noted that he was likely undergoing mental problems and was scared of police. So there, there are a couple things here. Him being scared of police is no surprise at all with the way that police in general treat black people. This black man, I don't know his whole history, but he likely had, um, reason to fear the police his whole life. So let's continue here. Body cam footage from two cops accused in the murder of George Floyd is revealed exclusively by DailyMail.com today, and it shows rookie officer terrifying Floyd by pointing a handgun at his head and other callously, and another callously picking a pebble from the squad car tire just inches from the dying man and seconds before he draws his last breath picking up a pebble. This officer, who was standing by as Chauvin was murdering this man, took the time to pick up a pebble that was next to his precious car and didn't care at all or do anything at all about the man, the human being, the life next to him that was dying. That is just callous disgusting and disturbing. Floyd resisted as the cops tried to force him into the back of the car. Again, he said he suffers from claustrophobia and anxiety. So transcripts from the videos were released in mid-July, but a judge in Minneapolis had ruled the video could only be viewed in the courthouse, meaning few people have had the chance to watch the powerful images. But the footage has now been leaked to DailyMail.com, so the world can finally see the tragedy of Floyd's last minutes as the cops were mindless of Floyd's anguish. The footage includes more than 18 minutes from Officer Alex Kung's body cam and 10 minutes from Officer Thomas Lane. They were the first two cops to arrive on the scene after a complaint that Floyd had attempted to pass a fake $20 bill to buy cigarettes at Cup Foods. Step out and face away. Please don't shoot me, Mr. Officer, please. Don't shoot me, man. Step out and face away. You're not shoot me, man. I'm not shooting you. Step out and face okay, away. Okay, okay, okay. Breathe. Breathe, breathe, man. Oh, ouchie, man. Are you on something right now? I'm not, no, nothing. Are you at it? Yeah, you can see. I'm going here, Mr. Officer. I'm going here. I'm going here. Take a seat. 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 Take a seat
You hear him say, I'm going to die in here. He knows what's going to happen. He's clearly having a mental health crisis, a panic. There are clearly no words to even say about that. It's, it's, you know, these cops are monsters. How can you hear a man clearly telling you that he wants to cooperate, but he's having a mental health issue. He's having panic, claustrophobia, and anxiety. He's been previously shot this way before. His mother just died. He's pleading with you. This is kind of showing you what black people in this country go through. So son at son of Asada on Twitter posted this video, which looks like it originated from Joshua Rodriguez. Aurora PD terrorized a black family at gunpoint after they mistook their car for a stolen one. They had no reason to run the plate in the first place. This is racial profiling. And this is another video that will be disturbing. There are children who are handcuffed, laying, having to lay face down on the blacktop of this parking lot. Children. And there was no reason to pull them over, to pull this family over. Again, another trigger warning for this video. It's very disturbing. guys. <laughs> um, I, how can, how can this happen? And people don't realize it. There are so many white people who are still asleep, even after the murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and so many names before them. How could any sane person look at that video with those kids on the ground, on the blacktop, with their hands behind their back, sobbing, calling out for help, trembling. Something needs to happen. This, the cops need to be held to account. The cops cannot act like this. They must not be allowed to act like this. We have to push with everything we have. We have to have people still out in the streets protesting. Don't let the protest die down. Don't let these people get away with this. 
thank thankfully from what i know no one was injured in this instance but that there's mental pain too that's going to stick with these kids for the rest of their lives think about when george floyd was saying that he was scared that this had he'd been shot like that before that he knew he was going to die now think about how these children that were just put on the ground by the Aurora PD in Colorado, how are they going to view police? They're not going to view police as those who come help them. They're going to view police as the terrorists they are. This will stick with them forever. This will stick with that mother forever, who most likely wasn't just sobbing for herself. She was sobbing for those children. She knew. And these cops, you know, a racist might look at this video and say, oh, the cops are asking them how they're doing. He asked the kid how he was doing. So that's okay. They were being nice. No, they weren't being nice. They had children with hands behind their backs on the blacktop in the summer. Not that that detail matters so much, except for it's freaking hot. They weren't being nice. They were being disgusting, terrible racists. And that video needs to get out everywhere. It's hard to watch. It made me cry. Um, I, we have a sick, sick country and we all have to do whatever we can to make it better. So this is out of nine news, which I assume is a local outlet. Aurora police briefly detained family after vehicle mistakenly identified as stolen. Officers detained a driver and four children, ages 6 to 17, inside a vehicle that was mistakenly identified as stolen, APD said. APD officers said they were notified around 10.55 a.m. of a possible stolen vehicle in the area of an ARC thrift store. Then officers identified a vehicle that matched the license plate number and the description they were given. The officers conducted a traffic stop and the adult driver and younger passengers were ordered onto the ground. Some were placed in handcuffs. A video taken by a witness shows four children ages six to 17 face down on the ground. Officers handcuffed at least two of the children. Brittany Gilliam, who identified herself as the driver, told Nine News she had taken her nieces, younger sister and daughter to get their nails done. And when they realized the salon was closed, they got back in the car. That's when she said police surrounded their car with guns drawn. APD said a motorcycle with the same license plate number. So how is, if, some, if it was a freaking motorcycle, how could they say it matched the description of the vehicle? She's in a van. <sighs> He's like, something about the car being reported stolen, Gilliam said. And I'm like, this happened months ago. You guys cleared it. We got to pick up the car the next day, the very next day. So I'm not understanding what's going on. Gilliam said her car was stolen back in February, but was found the next day. APD says, said confusion may have come from the fact that the vehicle mistakenly stopped was reported stolen earlier this year. Yeah, their own vehicle. There's no excuse why you didn't handle it a different type of way, Gilliam said about APD. You could have even told them, step off to the side, let me ask your mom or your auntie a few questions so we can get this cleared up. There was different ways to handle it. Officers unhandcuffed everyone, apologized, and explained the situation. The family asked to make a complaint, so a lieutenant responded to the scene to handle the request. But Gilliam's 14-year-old niece said APD already severed their trust with her. It's like they don't care, said Tariana Thomas. Who am I going to call when my life is in danger? 
an internal investigation has been opened. Um, the statement that they put out, the Aurora Police Department understands that this is concerning and traumatic for those involved, and we again offer our apologies, APD said in a statement. A spokesperson for the department said officers are trained when contacting a stolen car to do what is called a high-risk stop, which is also used when officers know or suspect the occupants are armed. Blah, 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 on and on with trying to justify themselves. Kevin Smith uh, formerly, oh, who is a former police officer who is now a professor at Metropolitan State University of Denver, said the officers were following protocol but could have acted a little quicker to get the children off the hot concrete. You're disgusting too, Kevin Smith. It's a little troublesome, he said. It looks bad because there were kids on the ground, and it sounds even worse. <sighs> Smith also said until officers know what they're dealing with, they have to use that kind of force. And all he says is, but then you have a six-year-old on the ground. I think the decision in this case could have been done a little quicker to get them off the ground. So here is an officer that they interviewed, and he, he, he thinks this is reasonable, that the only thing wrong is that they didn't get the, the family off the ground quicker. He thinks it was fine, that it just looks bad to have a six-year-old and you know four kids total on the ground, some handcuffed. There is a sickness in the police department. This is rampant. This is, this is a pandemic. I hope more comes from this case. I hope that family sees some justice. It won't be enough after having traumatized the children in the family and the mother. I, I just think, you know, we, we should share this Share this wherever you can on your social media, share that video and get the word out about what happened because clearly, you know, whoever sees that video will be outraged. No sane person could look at that and think it's okay. The fact that the cops are looking at it and colleagues and former colleagues are looking at it, think it's okay is very telling of uh, the mindset of the police. Remember back when we were all kind of hopeful that uh, we could unseat Mitch McConnell by way of Charles Booker. Booker, a true progressive who was fighting against, in her own words, Trump Democrat Amy McGrath. Unfortunately, the establishment won, Amy McGrath won, Charles Booker did not. He was an excellent candidate, very progressive policies. But they, they went with, um, with Amy McGrath in Louisville, or in Kentucky, excuse me. McConnell has a 17-point lead over Democratic challenger McGrath. This is that of the Hill. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is leading his Democratic opponent, Amy McGrath, by a commanding 17 points in a new poll that shows the GOP leader ahead 53% to 36%. 84% of Republicans polled by Morning Consult said they support McConnell, while 79% of Democrats said they back McGrath. 12% of Democrats said they also support McConnell. 12% of Democrats support McConnell. I have a lot of questions about that. You know, what kind of Democrat could support Mitch McConnell? So clearly there, there's a wide range of people who call themselves Democrats. But also, all progressives can say now, we told you so. We told you that Amy McGrath couldn't win. We told you that the only hope to unseat Mitch McConnell was to vote in Charles Booker. Amy McGrath was never going to win, and maybe that's the point.
The GOP leader also has more support among independents than McGrath, with 45% backing McConnell and 33% favoring McGrath. The survey of 700 likely voters in Kentucky, reported on the Louisville Courier-Journal, was conducted online from late July to August 2nd, a margin of error of 3.5%. So he's in an even stronger position than he was with a previous poll, but he's been you know, leading in basically all of them. He's been fundraising more. Um, you know, he's pitched himself to voters as someone who has been instrumental in implementing President Trump's agenda. So there's not much to say about this, except once again, we told you so. We told you <laughs> that Amy McGrath had no chance, that she was not a good candidate. And that's what these these Biden wing Democrats do over and over again, is they, they push and support the most centrist people they can, the people who are least likely to bring actual change, the people who are least likely to stand for the people. And in this case, it was so clear that Amy McGrath could never win that you, again, you have to wonder if that is the point, that Mitch McConnell would indeed keep his seat. If you were watching last month when Jordan did an interview with Bianca, um, Bianca Austin, who is or was Breonna Taylor's um, aunt, she mentioned that Kentucky Democratic Senate nominee, Amy McGrath, had not even reached out to Breonna's family. If you are someone who is trying to win a seat, why wouldn't you, you know, you're in a very high profile, in the midst, in the same um, state as a very high profile case that's important to so many people and you're supposedly a Democrat. So Amy McGrath, why didn't you actually reach out to Breonna Taylor's family? Why didn't you reach out to protesters? Charles Booker was there. Charles Booker was reaching out. Amy McGrath couldn't be bothered. In fact, one of the protesters there when we were in Louisville told us that Amy McGrath drove by and waved one day because every day they gather at this one central park area in Louisville. So Amy McGrath, she could only manage to drive by and wave. And previously she'd been interviewed on why she hadn't been active with the protests or hadn't attended protests. And she said she was busy. <laughs> like, how is this woman elected? She's got nothing. Her policies are nothing. She has nothing going for her at all. It's baffling how she won, except it shouldn't be baffling because that's what happens in these races. The establishment wins out, establishment Dems win out, and at the end, in the end, Republicans and Democrats are on the, on the same team. 